0: Welcome to the rise to the challenge podcast. Join today. She's a writer, author, martial artist, podcast host and mental health advocate. It's Melanie Gibson. How are you doing today, Melanie?
1: Hi, Alex. I'm doing great.
0: We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you like doing growing up?
1: I was raised in a rural West Texas town called Snyder. It's between Lubbock and Abilene. So if you've driven to New Mexico, you've probably driven through <laughs> Snyder. My parents weren't from Texas. So that was, a, was kind of an interesting upbringing. Um, so I felt like an insider and an outsider at the same time. You know, I grew up eating pierogies and homemade meatballs because oh. my mom's half Italian and Lithuanian. So we were not eating chicken fried steak and enchiladas and things like that. So just little weird things like that from my childhood. But uh, I grew up in Snyder, which I loved growing up in a small town. And I, I've I always been introverted, always kind of been a homebody. I love to read, love to draw. At one point I thought I wanted to be a cartoonist or an artist for Mad Magazine. And I I wasn't really a sporty kid, but I loved to swim. My dad was a swimming instructor in the summer. So I've always been a little water baby. And I got into martial arts actually as a child in Snyder. At at one point when I was about 10, I told my parents I wanted to learn karate. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd even seen the karate kid. This was about 1989 or 1990. So it was out by then, but I just thought it sounded cool and they took me up on it. I didn't think they were actually going to, but there was a, there still is a taekwondo school out in Snyder. And so they signed up the whole family for lessons, mom, dad, my brother me and I did that for about two years until just you know life happened I went to junior high other things took over but I always had fond memories of it and I love doing it so I was happy to pick that up again in my 30s.
0: Being a fan of cartoonists what kind of cartoons or what kind of like drawings did you like doing?
1: I like doing caricatures my favorite mad magazine artist was a, a man named Mort Drucker and he would always do the they would do the movie parodies or the mm. tv show parodies and those were the longer features in mad magazine they'd always have a silly take on the name of the show or the movie And like the hand that rocks the cradle, I remember that one was called the hand that robs the cradle or something like that. (laughs) And he always, I loved his style of drawing for the the caricatures. It had some realism to it. It wasn't kind of the outlandish ones where their noses are gigantic or anything like that. It just looked like it looked like a good caricature, and that inspired me so much that I did one act play in high school theater. And so every year I would draw a parody of our play. And make up a silly name and make up silly names for the characters. And there are tons of inside jokes that I draw in there. And I've gone back over the last couple of years and looked at some of them. And I don't even get some of the inside jokes anymore. (laughs) But I kind of emulated that drawing style. And I I don't really draw anymore. I don't really have an interest to do it. Um, I I think my creativity has gone into writing. But I have good memories of just pouring out all my emotions into art and drawing.
0: During that time when you're doing those drawings, was that a way for you to express yourself and kind of showcase your skills or emotions and things like that through your drawings?
1: I think so, because I, I did like to do just regular visual art. I took an art class in high school and did paintings and things like that. But my first love was always cartoons, the mm-hmm. uh, little comic strips, and cartoon characters and caricatures. And over time, when I got into high school, I would keep these notebooks, which I'd I, Don't have them anymore unfortunately I'm sad about that but it was all these little characters just talking and saying things and telling jokes so I think even without knowing it I was transitioning from drawing into writing as my means of creative expression
0: see I get that creativity through arts in different forms of media like I'm the video I'm a video guy and during that time I look back at my mom had drawings and like arts and crafts I made and I'm like did I really make this? Like, this does not seem like me, but it's at that time where you think it's such a great, you have this idea and you want to put it out in a drawing or in a sculpture. And you look back and you're like, wow, what, if I took that same concept now, the things that could evolve and what I'm able to create would just be amazing.
1: Mm -hmm. And I remember something my tattoo artist said about a year or so ago. I have Four tattoos, one on each shoulder and one on each forearm. And I didn't really start getting those until I was almost 40. And she said she's, she's very much a painting, drawing type of artist. And she said she gets obsessed with an idea and she just has to get it out of her head. Mm-hmm. And both of us, because we were very collaborative with our designs. And I always felt that same way. It's almost like vomiting or an exorcism. <laughs> but in a good artistic way, is you've got these ideas in your head. And you've got to get them out or it'll drive you crazy. And that's how writing is for me. That's what I, I started a blog when I got back into Taekwondo and I just had these thoughts and ideas coming so fast. I had to get them out. And that's how it's been with art is sometimes it's a slow, lovely process. And other times it's just like a frantic push to get it out.
0: Growing up in a small town, what was a challenging part about that?
1: It's a lonely place. One of my favorite quotes is from Roy Orbison, who is from Vernon, Texas, which I think is near Wichita Falls. So near the Oklahoma Texas border. And he said, West Texas is a easy place to be lonely or it's a good place to be lonely. And I always liked being alone. I've always been and still am kind of a loner, but it's, it's a place to be lonely. You definitely have to find ways to entertain yourself. And also, now that I reflect on some of the mental health things that were starting to manifest when I was a child, when I was a teenager, there was no help for that. And from what I've heard from people who still live there, there's really not a lot of help for that. There's no language for that. There are no services and resources. There is no way to express that. So thankfully, nothing really terrible happened. And obviously, I'm still here. But I worry about other people who may be suffering more and they don't have, you know, the culture isn't there to support it and the resources aren't there. So that's probably one of the downfalls of living in a small town.
0: Those challenges that you faced, what were those challenges as you were growing up?
1: So there was some depression and anxiety and, and, um, You know, I had a a loving family and everything, but but we all had our demons and Mm -hmm. we didn't know how to express it in a healthy way. You know, if you're angry or something, you'll yell at your family member instead of talking it out Mm -hmm. or finding a healthy way to express it. I I even did a little bit of self-harm when I was a child, just a little bit. I say this a little bit like it's diminishing it. But now that I look back, I'm like, oh, wow, I did that because I didn't have a healthy way of expressing my anger. And so, again, loving family. But. We just didn't know how to do that because I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Even then, there was still very much a stigma about mental illness. Nobody talked about their feelings. No one confronted people they loved in a healthy way. So that just built and built and built. And I was kind of a, a lonely, sensitive child anyway. I always had a, a dark quality about me. So, you know, chemical imbalance. So you put that all together, you end up with a, kind of a, a, an unstable adult.
0: Did Taekwondo kind of help that be able to like release that anger or release that energy that was kind of built up inside?
1: I think it did both as a child and most definitely as an adult. It was life changing as an adult. So as a child, it was something we all did as a family. It was very much a community event because they were the only game in town. So if you Mm -hmm. want martial arts, that's where you went. And it's still very much from what I've seen and everything. It's still very community oriented. So that was fun. Good way to socialize with people. And I think it did get some anxiety out and it gave me goals. It gave me something to be proud of. And I still think about that. I I experienced that as an adult too, is that there's some sense of accountability. You have to take tests, you have to show up for class, you have to do what your teachers tell you. So they set goals for you. You set goals for yourself. So yeah, I think it was definitely a, a positive outlet. And sometimes I wonder had I stayed with Taekwondo as a teenager I wonder if I would have been a little less of a of a basket case than I was <laughs> in high school.
0: I feel like my mom would say if I did karate or something, I would still be the same. I'd still be a wild child running around my house. Did you enjoy doing it with your family and kind of it was like a way to like do something together, bond and get closer and things like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we always spent lots of time together and went on family trips and all of that together and and holidays. So it was a happy family unit for, for, for the most part, but that was, gave us something unique to do. And just that larger sense of community, I think helped the family bond. And my parents didn't stay in it as long as my brother and I did, but they were still very supportive. And, and again, it's just a very community oriented activity. And as an introvert who does not like to spend a lot of time with people. I know it's ironic for me saying that, but I like that aspect of it.
0: Talk about your relationship with your brother. Were you guys able to get along? Were you guys close in age? Or did you guys have your own unique things that you enjoyed and you kind of let that be?
1: Um, Maybe yes to all those things. We're two years apart. So we're pretty close in age and we're pretty close growing up. Uh, we spent most of our childhood summers in Pennsylvania visiting my mom's parents, and there weren't any other kids to play with, and not our normal kid activities, so we were kind of forced to to bond with each other, and we would draw pictures and play games, and, and of course we'd fight. We're siblings, so we'd, <laughs> we'd fight with each other, too, but we bonded a lot, making that we'd make up all these stories, so um, I, I know we, we bonded a lot over those summers and, and we haven't stayed. I don't think we're as close now as we were when we were children, but we're still, the bond is still there and we pick right up when we leave off. Um, he's got a two year old, so he's got a very busy life. And so it's hard to, hard to nail him down, but every once in a while I'll get a random text that's like a Batman YouTube video. <laughs> and that's just, that's our thing that we bond on. So. We know we can send each other the most random things like a dumb and dumber meme or something. And it takes us back to being kids where we used to joke and play and have all our stories and our inside jokes together. So that, that bond never goes away.
0: I love that. It's just like fun messages. It's nothing like serious in a way you can just, it kind of could cheer you up if you need it in the moment. If you're going through something and you get that video and you watch it or that meme, those are the messages I think people love getting.
1: Yeah. And I think that, that that's our outlet to each other because I've got my serious people I can talk to at work. Same with him and, and not to get it too much in his personal life, but it was, it was a very difficult birth with his daughter. My niece It was very scary. He was, you know, at the hospital all night with his wife and I just randomly sent him, you can go to YouTube and find these videos of Skeletor from He-Man. And it's like stuff taken out of context or these little clips and they're hilarious. And I sent him one just randomly. I just like, I know things are crazy. Maybe this will cheer you up for five minutes. And he told me later that he went down this deep rabbit hole of Skeletor videos on YouTube just to get him through the scariest night of his life. So Mm -hmm. as his older sister, that is how I contributed to the ultimately healthy birth of my niece.
0: A lot of times we get a fun question. What's that dream job of ours? When you were growing up, what did you think about a career, Ed? I wanted
1: to be a cartoonist. Okay. Didn't really know how at one point I thought, oh, "Yeah, I worked for Mad Magazine or something. Or then I thought I'd have like a syndicated strip or books. And this was before web comics were a thing. So I didn't really have a plan for it. I just knew I love to draw. I like to write cartoons. That's what I wanted to do. And and I, I told this to my partner the other day is that I, I think I started college too young before I really... Cause you have to come out of there kind of knowing what you want to do for a job or yeah. you're, you're in trouble and you're floundering. And I floundered a lot because I love to learn. I was even a dance major for a while because I just love to learn it. I love to learn music and and languages and things like that. But then you're faced with the reality of you got to pay bills. You, you're going to live on your own. You have rent to pay. You have bills to pay. You got to find a job. So luckily that all worked out for me, but that was a challenge of, I I just wanted to draw. I wanted to do what I love. And part of my job allows me to be creative now. So I guess that makes up for it. And I have health insurance and retirement. So that's good enough. And I can do the things I love in my spare time. So would child me be happy with how my life turned out? Maybe for the financial stability, but she might be a little disappointed that I didn't end up as a cartoonist.
0: Going to college as a dance major, what's the biggest fun part about that? Because where I went to college, we ha- there was people I knew that were dance majors, and they just talk about where they get to do what they love every day and learn, like you said, learn about that kind of industry. What did you enjoy about that?
1: I think just learning how to dance and getting to do it. And I, Now that I came back, I wasn't that good. <laughs> so uh, I, I panicked right near the end and swapped. I, I was planning on minoring in English, and I just swapped it. So I ended up with a degree in English and a minor in dance, which I'd started out as a nutrition major, mostly because I had an eating disorder, and I thought that would be fascinating. So (laughs) I switched, I changed my major many times in college, but being a dance major was fun. Now that I look back, I probably should have picked something more practical and just taken dance classes on the side. Like I feel like if my niece were in this situation, I'd be giving her this advice, but it it all worked out. Um, I went to graduate school after that and found a career I really enjoyed and I've, I've changed careers since then, but um, I'm glad I did get to learn something and do something I, I loved for the, for the time being. I'm not really much of a dancing person anymore, but <laughs> it was fun while it lasted.
0: So no dancing with the stars in the future?
1: No, this is kind of funny. What I miss are high school dances where we would two-step, because I'm from Texas, <laughs> and do the Cotton Eye Joe, and then we would dance to Tejano music, going around in a circle with the Norteño music music and the Tejano music and all that stuff. So if I were someone to take me out dancing now, I'd say, take me to a country bar down the street. I want a two-step.
0: <laughs> I know. The, I, I see those, um, like in Texas, those bars, and I'm thinking, I need to find these two-step ones because they're just so much fun. Now and it's like you go to a easy. club and it's completely not that unless you know the right spots.
1: Well, I do. My love of dance still comes out in some of the things I like to watch. I do. I have started watching the new season of So You Think You Can Dance. And I'm obsessed. <laughs> I love watching it. And then also my my boyfriend, who is not a dance person at all. He he does not like dancing. He doesn't want to do it. He loves dance movies and the worse they are the cheesier they are like the step up movies the better in fact we've we've covered all the step up movies in our movie podcast and they're just fun i mean he he's he's a martial artist and so he's he's an athlete so i think he can appreciate people who can move but that's some weird thing we bonded over with dance movies and we come at it from different perspectives. Cause I'm sometimes looking at the technique and maybe he's looking at the athleticism or just laughing at the cheesy story.
0: (laughs) I love, he's not, he doesn't like dance, but he loves the dance movies. Oh yeah. I love that.
1: And he's not, he's not into theater or anything like, like I was, but one of our favorite joint movies is Annie. Okay. In the 1984 musical, we we watched, that was one of our comforts during the, the big ice storm that hit Texas last year. We had no power and I had my old laptop that still had a DVD player and we watched Annie and that got us through the dark, cold night.
0: You mentioned going as a nutrition major and used it as a way to learn through an eating disorder. Talk about that experience and what what were you wanting to learn about it?
1: Yeah, so that was one of the mental health challenges I had starting about age 13 and I think the depression and anxiety were already there. And it was and, and bipolar disorder, because that all came out later. But it was like this switch got flipped when I hit puberty. And all of a sudden, I thought, oh, I hate my body. And I hate myself, I want to change things. So uh, I won't go into detail of what I did to try to change my body. But I, I certainly had a terrible body image. I hated my body. Uh, um, so yeah, I'm just very sad for a teenage girl to go through that. And I didn't know if I, I really, it was a conscious decision, like, oh, I'm going to learn the secrets. But it, I just mm-hmm. heard of nutrition as a major and thought, oh, all I think about is food and exercise. I can major in that at school. And it's a very science heavy degree. Yep. Obviously, you would hope so. And I, I learned about a semester and that that was not Biology, chemistry, all that stuff that you need to know. Yep. That was not for me. So I lost interest pretty pretty quickly. Didn't lose interest in having an eating disorder. That lasted all up until last year when I was 42. But um, I, I think now that I look back again at a lot of reflection on choices I made and thought, that's all I really knew. And another thing you asked about challenges of living in a small town is that all of a sudden you're told your whole life go to college, go to college, get an education. But you don't get a lot of exposure to things in a small town. My dad worked for the college. So I always thought academia might be a good route to go. He started as an art teacher. So he's where I get my artistic penchant. And then he moved into administration. So that was all I knew is kind of a higher ed type of job. Or it was, you know, there were oil field jobs. Or you worked at the hospital. Or you worked for the school district. There wasn't a lot of exposure to all the possibilities that are out there. So I did it the hard way and would change my major and take a class in something, realize I hated it and just switch to something else. So I never really ended up with a good solid college degree. That's why I went to graduate school. Um, But, but that's a downside. I don't, I don't know. Maybe things are better now for kids in either big cities or small towns to just learn that college is yes, you want to learn and have fun, but it also needs to set you up for, Uh, hopefully a stable future if you decide to go
0: yeah I definitely agree and where sometimes we all of us if we go to college we have that one set on mission and where we only are focusing on this and then we get out to the real world and we're like this is not what I was expecting I'm not doing what I wanted to do and things like that everything's changed I went to college for sports management I'm not even in sports. And that is like, did I just waste four years to not do what I wanted to do? And, but it's like you said, you got to set yourself up for your future. The financial part plays in a big effect. When you were going through the eating disorder, did you have a hard time telling people what you were going through? Or was that something that you just wanted to keep inside and not reveal to people?
1: It was definitely a secret and one I kept for decades. And I I think I tried telling one or two people in high school and their responsibilities will just stop doing that. So you you can't really tell somebody with a mental illness to just stop. Oh yes. I'll stop being depressed. Oh yes. I'll stop restricting food or binging or whatever. Yeah. It's that easy. So it was a secret. I kept and a lot of my issues stem from, you know, chemical imbalance, mental illness, all that. But this strong sense of perfectionism, which perfectionism, which goes hand in hand with having an eating disorder and my eating disorder manifested in different ways over the years. Sometimes it was binging. I never purged, really. I did exercise uh, over exercise one summer when I was in high school and that caused some physical problems. So uh, and then it was restriction and things like that. And so uh, I was able to get by for a long time, just skimming under the radar. The same with mental illness is that I was always able to skim under the radar. I've always been employed. I've always paid my bills. I've never gotten in trouble with the law. So I've been more fortunate in some instances than a lot of people. But I also uh, backed away from chances to ask for help. I mean, I had moments where I was on the floor crying and wanted to to end things. But I decided, well, I better just get up and go to work. Because got to pay bills, or what's it going to look like? If I don't show up at work, I was very worried about what people would think of me or what my future would be like, because for a long time, I was, you know, I was my only source of income. So there's a lot of stigma around mental illness. Uh, There's, there's stigma around eating disorders, but you're often rewarded for eating disorder behavior, especially if you keep yourself small. And you exercise and it's very virtuous. And people applaud you for that when they're really applauding dangerous behavior.
0: Do you feel with society or like even TVs and movies where they play into that eating disorder that it kind of puts the wrong image in what maybe people are going through and not telling the real true stories? Or how do you view that with someone that's gone through it and then you see it play out in the whole Hollywood scene?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, anorexia is definitely kind of glorified it's 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 always somebody who's super skinny, usually a young white affluent female, which eating disorders can affect all genders races ec- socioeconomic status everybody so it's always one archetype character or, or if if they have bulimia it's always uh, it's always very excessive and it's always very one dimensional What I'd like to see is really uh, driving home that it's a mental illness. It is not a vain desire to be thin, even though some of that is wrapped up into it. And that really came to it. it that was clear to me finally, when I, I started, uh, had a, had a kind of mental health crisis last year in 2021 and, and sought help again. I'd, I'd seen a therapist before, and then I was okay for a while and then I wasn't. So sought help from a therapist again, and, and they were doing your intake and I was very honest about my eating habits, which weren't good. And so they said, I think you have an eating disorder. I'm like, cool. Okay. It's nice to finally admit that. So I, what I didn't like was all the costs that live in America and healthcare costs money. And so the nutrition sessions were like $150 a pop or something. And I was complaining to a family member and they said, well, Melanie, you're, you're smart. Can't you just read a book on what to eat something? And I said, it's a mental illness. No, (laughs) I need somebody to help me with this. And and then that made sense to me like, Oh, okay. $150 is well spent. I I need a professional to talk me through this and give me new skills and new ways of coping. So that's Hollywood needs to revamp how they depict uh, mental illness in general. I think they're getting better at that, but that would be something to, to remind if you're going to do, Show an eating disorder, show how it it shows up in other ways, maybe in perfectionism, it's not always about food or exercise. It could be about the image you present to the world, or it could be about keeping secrets. So show that aspect.
0: I think the biggest thing is the education aspect of it, where if we're, if you have people that don't know anything about it, they're going to say, oh, just go eat. Oh, go do this. When it's, there's more to it and how you talked about where it's the mental health part aspect of it, where someone helping you and talking to you about it to get the help, I think plays a big effect than someone just saying, oh, go read a book. Mm
1: -hmm. Those kind
0: of things. I think Education for a lot of things, even with medical conditions and things like that. We don't have the knowledge yet. I think once there's better ways to get that education, I think more people will be aware of how we can all help each other in those situations.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: You are an author. Talk about writing and how did you want to start that?
1: How did I want to start writing? Well, I didn't, I never thought I did want to be a cartoonist, but I never thought I want to be an author when I grow up or I want to be a writer. It just happened. So I've always had a talent for writing. I've always enjoyed it. I use it in my job. I was good at it in school. So it's always just been something I can do. Well, the writing as a kind of a vocation really started around 2014. So I had gotten back into Taekwondo in 2013. And that was after another big mental health crisis that I was having. And I was already on medication, already seeing a therapist, but I'd really hit rock bottom and just I needed like a jolt to my system. Mm -hmm. So I went back to Taekwondo, got back into that. And I was starting to have a lot of realizations and insights and just like unpeeling of these layers of my mental health and and Learning about myself and kind of like what I said earlier, being more accountable for my choices, taking more responsibility for my actions and just realizing that, wow, Taekwondo is really helping me make better life choices and have better self-awareness, better emotional intelligence. And I just had to start writing about it. So I started a blog and I called it Little Black Belt because it's like a little black dress. It's a good accessory. So (laughs) I wish I'd called it Taekwondo, but. I didn't think of that at the time. So it's called Little Black Belt. And I just started writing and I didn't even tell anybody about it for a couple of months because I had to get it out of my head. Like my tattoo artist has to get the design into my skin. I had to get all those thoughts out of my head. And about a year in, I thought, you know, I think I've got enough material here that I could write a book. So I wrote a memoir and it's called Kicking and Screaming, A Memoir of Madness and Martial Arts. And I I finished the first draft around 2015, which was when I got my first degree black belt. So it was kind of fun to write it as the ending was happening. And so then took many years of edits, rewrites, pitching to different publishers, things like that. And it all ended up with a a final published product coming out in 2021. And, And the blog has continued and I've been fortunate to have guest writers on there. I've done guest writing for other martial arts websites. I've made a lot of friends. Uh, The martial arts online world is very small. So I've made a lot of great friends that way. Um, One of my favorite pieces of feedback that I get from people is not even about the martial arts aspect. I love when some martial arts artist reads it and they're like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I really like it more when somebody said, you know, I've been through that too. I've been through a bad relationship or I have depression or I get lonely sometimes And if that can speak to them, if they can see beyond kind of the, the almost the superficial story of doing Taekwondo and they see into the mental health and the emotional wellness part of it, that's what I really, then I did my job.
0: Do you feel that your memoir, when people are reading that, maybe if they're in the martial arts community, it's giving them a chance to be able to see that other people are going through those same struggles or those same challenges and, there's other people that can help because they've gone through it. It's kind of how you said with the feedback.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, and martial artists kind of run the risk of being perfectionists mm-hmm. or staying in a toxic situation for too long. I'm actually working on an article right now, which by the time this comes out, it'll be published, but uh, some of the cult-like aspects of martial arts and, you know, just like a toxic relationship, if you're in a bad martial arts situation, it's time to leave So that's one of the things is staying in a, in a bad situation. But another thing is kind of the, the perfectionist nature of martial arts. If you already have some of those tendencies, sometimes it can exacerbate it. And martial artists are very prideful about not quitting. There's the saying goes around as a black belt, as a white belt who never gave up, which is good for the most part. But then also it's, it's a little, it can be a little toxic or a little too much pressure of, you know, maybe you just don't want to do it anymore Mm -hmm. or, You know, I didn't want to do it anymore when I was a kid. There's nothing wrong. I wasn't a bad, morally evil person because I didn't want to do, you know, special martial, holy martial arts anymore. So um, I have to be careful when people leave or when they get their black belt and quit that I don't criticize people for doing that because you never so many other things going on in people's lives. So. Uh yeah, I hope long story short to say maybe a martial artist reading that will be like, you know, so I, I feel some of those things too. And it's okay. It's okay to be a black belt with anxiety. I have a friend who, uh, his name is Les Bubka, and he lives in the, the UK and he wrote a book called Anxious Black Belt. And it's, he's a karate guy. It, it's kind of the same thing of dealing with anxiety and being in martial arts and how that can help. And then sometimes how that can that can hinder it sometimes.
0: When you received your black belt, what was going through your mind what did you feel in that moment
1: i was very excited it was better than graduation <laughs> i was very even my grandparents came into my first degree black belt test so that was fun we had family come in and it was a big accomplishment but in martial arts in any martial arts not just taekwondo but a black belt doesn't mean you've reached the pinnacle of all your skills you're still very much a beginner or intermediate it means you got the basics down because a lot of people would ask me, okay, what, what now Well, you just keep going. Mm-hmm. You just keep doing it until you don't want to do it anymore or your body won't let you do it anymore. But um, there's kind of life before the black belt and life after the black belt. And, and there's so much learning that happens after the black belt. And what I liked about it, again, kind of weird that I'm the loner introvert who doesn't like people is that one of the things I really loved to be able to do as a black belt was to teach and coach And that was one of the things uh, my instructor brought out in me is he would give me these opportunities even before I became a black belt, like referee this sparring match or something like that, or teach this little portion to some students. So I kind of fell in love with coaching and teaching as I was becoming a black belt. And I don't do that as much anymore, but that's something I like to do. And I like to encourage and coach younger up and coming black belts to be able to do that as well. So again, it's that community aspect and giving back that i really like it i guess that's where i i I get my people uh get my people uh interaction you could say (laughs) for martial arts i get to punch and kick them too so i guess that's i like that i like that about it too
0: it's like you get to punch and kick them that's actually legal and okay to do
1: yes and it's all out of love
0: yeah (laughs) did you have many competitions contests things like that with taekwondo
1: No, I really didn't. I think I did one when I was a kid and I just did forms. I didn't do sparring. I hated sparring when I was a kid. I was so afraid of it. I like it now. (laughs) I still get the crap beat out of me, but I think it's fun. So I I didn't really do any. I did some, I did maybe two board breaking ones in 2020 before everything shut down. I have more experience coaching at tournaments and that's a whirlwind nightmare. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad I helped my students, but, oh man, those are long days. Uh, I, I don't miss tournaments at all.
0: You talked about in martial arts, Taekwondo, looking back, is there any kind of form of martial arts that you wish you got the opportunity to try?
1: I wish I could learn more Hapkido. So Hapkido is a Korean martial art like Taekwondo, and it's very similar to Aikido, which is Japanese. And that's based on hand to hand stuff, a lot of grabbing the wrist and getting out mm-hmm. of that wrist locks, joint locks, throws, takedowns. And we did do some of that. I, I went to a pretty traditional school. Um, my grandmaster was kind of the first generation of Korean instructors who came over to the United States and brought that. So he he brought a lot of old school stuff and some of that was hakido. So I did learn uh, quite a bit of that but I I wish I could do more. I've I've even looked for Hapkido schools around here is that I I wouldn't mind even just going to a Hapkido school, starting over as a white belt and learning all of it from beginning to end. Um, Also kind of curious about judo. Again, we did throws and takedowns where I did Taekwondo, uh, modern Taekwondo. Some, some people just do like competition style sparring and they don't do things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we did that and it was fun and scary, (laughs) but it's fun to do so maybe judo grappling hurts my brain it's very confusing um i've people have shown me a little bit of bjj type of stuff and my partner takes a wrestling class and i'll go uh i'll take him there sometimes and watch and it's so confusing it's like put your arm here and put your arm here and put your leg here and do this and do this and do this it's like this puzzle with (laughs) 27 different steps just to i mean when you pin or get somebody on the ground it's pretty rough but like the end result is cool, but I can't keep up with all of that.
0: <laughs> Looking at your martial arts journey that you've been on, what's the biggest thing it taught you about yourself?
1: Mm, you think I'd have a really quick answer because I wrote a book about it. <laughs> but I think it taught me to respect myself okay. as a person, as a woman, as as an adult as a human being as a person with something to contribute to the world as a person who has something to give to others because that respect is a big tenet of taekwondo and many other martial arts and respect leads to into so many other things when you respect yourself you make good choices you don't let people treat you poorly you mm-hmm. make healthy choices for your body you are a good steward of your finances whether you have a lot or you have a little uh you you put effort into whatever your job is or or your hobbies, or or you take, you take a healthy sense of pride in yourself. So I think if I, if there could only be one thing that I take away from that is self-respect.
0: You mentioned earlier about your podcast and as a podcast host, what was the creation of it? When did you decide I want to do this?
1: So I had a really deep depression in 2021. So I'll give you a little background so in 2020 a little something called a pandemic happened so you know we all kind of lost our minds with that so that was going on although now I work from home so I'm not sad about that but uh, I had a pretty severe knee injury I tore my ACL in July 2020 doing taekwondo Mm. and I've had two surgeries since then I'm doing pretty well but it's a very long recovery Uh, two years later I'm still still not 100%, which is normal for this type of injury. And I'm also in my early 40s. So I'm not going to bounce back like a college football player. So, you know, when you have a kind of a life changing injury like that, 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 that can take a toll on your mind. Uh, I work for a healthcare organization, I'm not clinical, but I work kind of in the leadership and training side. So, you know, I, I don't face any of the pressures that our clinical staff do, but it was still there was still pressure on everybody to perform and deliver. And, you know, if they say you got to get this done, you had to get it done yesterday. So there was a lot of pressure. Uh, Healthcare organization was under a little bit of stress during the pandemic. So work was very stressful. I was coping with it with some pretty restrictive eating behaviors. I was very depressed. So all that to say, and that's, that's when I went back and I got help for my eating disorder and then got back into therapy, things like that. So things took a better turn. But during that, I was so depressed and just sad. And, and I wasn't doing Taekwondo at the time because my body just couldn't do it. I, I took about a year and a half off. And so I kept getting in my mind, kind of like the blog, like I've got to get this out of my head. I kept thinking, well, my boyfriend, and I love watching movies and TV shows. And we always say really funny things to each other when we're watching it. And sometimes like a minute and a half in, we'll pause and go off on these rants and tangents. And I thought, well, what if we started a podcast about movies about either ones that are kind of our tagline is it's it's guilty it's either a guilty pleasure or it's a hate watch so a guilty pleasure might be and the, the podcast is called movie pain or pleasure sometimes we just do straight movie reviews like we reviewed the uh the dragon ball movie that came out or we reviewed uh the batman movie that you know that wasn't either that wasn't a hate watch or a guilty pleasure i love that movie But it's mostly watching things that are ridiculous and fun, like the Fast and Furious movies, and just screaming with laughter. Or, I'll give you a recent example. We watched the live-action remake of Pinocchio on Disney+, and hated it! Oh. (laughs) I sat there with a glass of wine screaming for an hour about how much I hate them. (laughs) I didn't know if he would be on board with it because I do public speaking in my job I'm basically a corporate trainer. So I've done public speaking for 10 years. I'm very used to it. It's comfortable. And I I did several podcasts in the lead up to for publicity for my book coming out. So I was used to it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if he would be on board, but he was totally game for it. And it was his idea to do YouTube videos, to go on Twitch and discord and things like that. I just thought I'd record a podcast and put the audio up on iTunes and call it a day, but we've got an Instagram, we've got YouTube, Um, so I know our parents watch our YouTube, I think some other people watch it, but at least we've got a few faithful followers with our parents, so it's been tons of fun, and and we watch tons of movie and TV anyway, so why not get something extra out of it? Although we will have days where we say, I don't wanna watch anything for work, quote unquote, I just wanna watch a movie but we have fun with it we we laugh a lot <laughs> sometimes getting angry in a movie you hate is fun <laughs> and, and like the twilight movies or something and <laughs> and so you just rant about it so we we've had some uh, we've had a lot of fun over the the, the past year it's it, it was september 2021 we did our first episode and that was a review of the movie cruella which had just come out on disney plus So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes so far a year. It's, it's fun. We both have jobs and busy lives. So we've still been able to keep it going for the most part, get it out on a weekly basis. Um, I don't know if it's ever, it will never be one of those things with a million followers and tons of sponsorships, or maybe it will be, but right now it's just something we do as pure fun. And that's kind of nice. It's not like with my writing, there's a pressure to to perform really. Mm -hmm. And kind of like with, with my day job, there's a pressure to perform and present a certain side of myself. And with this one, I can just be stupid and funny and completely ridiculous. So that's, that's a good outlet for me.
0: And you don't want the podcast to feel like it's another 40 hour job. You want to be able to go to work, do all that stuff. And then you come and do this and it's just pure fun and not stressful because then it's like two jobs. And that's how I view this. It's like, I don't want to go from work to another work. I want to just enjoy and have fun and do something I love doing.
1: Yeah, I didn't set this up as a side hustle. I set this up because I was depressed and bored and I wanted something fun to do. And so far it's been really fun.
0: Looking at your complete journey that you've been on, is there anything you would change or do you feel that each step you've taken, it's gotten you to where you are and it's been a learning journey that you needed?
1: I'm tempted to pick the first option, but I think I'm going to go with the second option because I'm pretty happy with where my life is now. And I wouldn't be where I am now without going through all the good times yep. and the bad times and the lessons learned along the way. And had I never had a chance to learn certain lessons, whether it was the hard way or whether it was uh, through good experiences or through therapy or anything else, I might have stagnated at some point in my life. I might still have the emotional maturity of a, a 15-year-old. I don't know. So I, I'm glad I've gone through what I've gone through. I've, I've fortunately I'm I'm alive. I'm healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, haven't had any devastating, uh, consequences from choices that I've made. So it's all worked out. So I'm I'm glad I'm still learning lessons, but I'm glad I have learned most of the hard ones
0: already. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, both personally and professionally?
1: Personally, I just hope to keep being more and more content with what I have and who I am and where I am, because I still get in that cycle of feeling dissatisfied with things and always chasing what's next. So for example, I, I paid off my condo in February of 2022. And that, that was a big accomplishment. But in my mind, I don't know if it was the housing crisis that got me thinking about it, but I think, oh, I wish I had a bigger house. I wish I had this. I wish I had that instead of appreciating what I'm in right now, it's mm-hmm. like you almost have blinders on and you can't even see what you have right now because you're so focused on what you wish you or what you think you wish you had. So that's still a work in progress. So, um, you know, just more emotional maturity, the older I get and the more experience I have. Um, so that that may be the spiritual side of things. Personally, I'd like to write more books. Um, I don't know if I'll do another memoir, but I have some ideas for some funny novels fiction is really hard for me. It's really easy to talk about myself, starting out doing essays and memoirs. That's really easy. So um, that's a learning experience too, is learning how to write decent fiction. I like to do that. Um, things with my family are pretty good. So I want to watch my niece grow up and maybe, and mentor her and, and maybe steer her towards some better choices than I would have made, or maybe share some of my experiences. So she's going to read my book someday. So And she'll probably have some questions. So I want to be around to answer those questions.
0: The final question I'll ask you, for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge?
1: I've said this on many podcasts, and I'll say this on yours as well, is that it is okay to not be okay. And it's okay to ask for help. That's the start. Yeah, that's it. No, that's I agree. A simple message.
0: It's a good one because I think people are afraid to be vulnerable in a way they want to, mm-hmm. like we talked about earlier, the perfectionist and where you're going to have those moments. We're not all perfect. Even, I mean, we can see celebrities nowadays. Everything gets revealed when they think that, oh, everything's not going to come out. And now things just come out left and right, but it's okay to get that vulnerable side.
1: Mm -hmm. and another thing I'll add to that is to think about authenticity and that was a journey I went on in 2021 at the great year of my depression and everything and and coming to terms with some things and that was something my therapist at the time challenged me with was finding ways to be more authentic and I think I've found that I I have a corporate job and, and most people are very inauthentic there or they feel like they have to be so I feel like I've been able to reveal more of myself there. I even, there was even an article about kind of my mental health journey at work. So uh, now it's, it's out in the open. And so I think another message would be, where are you being inauthentic and how is that hurting you? I'm mm-hmm. not saying you have to put everything out there and all your secrets and everything, but when you're not being yourself, it's exhausting. Yep. I and mean, I've done that for 20 years. It's exhausting.
0: Well, Melanie, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Well,
1: thanks for having me on the show. I enjoyed talking with you.
0: Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to full-length episodes in video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.